Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to a history of Europe, the Ford of Toledo. 1085, part four of four. By the 1080s, the various Taif estates of Muslim Spain had consolidated into less than a dozen in number, the largest four being Seville, Badajoz, Toledo and Zaragoza. The most wealthy, Seville, having devoured the smaller taifas of Huelva, Algeciras, Algarve, Cordova and Murcia, now stretched from the Atlantic coast to the Mediterranean. A similar process of expansion had occurred to the taifa of Toledo, which occupied a large amount of territory in the centre of the peninsula. Its rulers were from a dynasty by the name of Banu Dilnun, who descended from a Berber family who had arrived in Spain at the time of the Islamic conquest. The king of Toledo from 1043 to 1075, named Al-Mamun, ruled his kingdom well and brought it to its greatest heights. The Christian rulers of Spain, meanwhile, did their best to take advantage of the incessant fighting between the Muslim kingdoms. The insatiable demands of the Christians for tribute was beginning to severely weaken the taifas. The payment of periers brought short-term benefits for the Muslim states, but long-term problems. As the Spanish say, pan para hoy, hambre para mañana i.e. bread for today, but hunger for tomorrow. The political fault lines between the taifas became to a large extent determined by each ruler's relationship with the Christian north. The king of Badajoz, whose borders were relatively quiet, led the opposition against the payment of tribute. Seville and Zaragoza wavered. Toledo, for their part, preferred to ally with the Christians, who they were using successfully to their advantage. With Castilian backing, Al-Mamun was able to take control of the cities of Cordova and Valencia. It was in Toledo where Alfonso VI had spent time in exile, having been defeated and captured by his elder brother Sancho. In his time there, he had formed a close bond with Al-Mamun, which helps explain his later assistance to Toledo against Valencia and Cordova. But things changed when in 1075, in the city of Cordova, Al-Mamun died, poisoned, it is said, by a rival faction. 
He was succeeded by his grandson, who is referred to most often by his rather misplaced honorific title of Al-Qadir, meaning the powerful. The new king, perhaps under political pressure, or perhaps because he wanted his kingdom to be more independent, decided to dispense with the arrangement with Alfonso. In 1076, he expelled the supporters of the alliance, principally Mozarabs and Jews. Perhaps he hoped to win the friendship of the neighbouring Taifas, but instead the decision led to a succession of disasters. To start with, conflict quickly broke out within Toledo between different factions of the city. Next, control over recently taken Cordova and Valencia became endangered when both declared their independence. Without the support of the Castilians, Al-Qadir found himself unable to bring back the cities under his authority. The king of Badajoz then saw an opportunity to exploit the situation and in 1080 invaded Toledo, forcing Al-Qadir to take refuge in Cuenca. All appeared lost, the young king's very life in danger. There was only one solution, to renew the pacts with King Alfonso. Ready to accept the deal and place an ally back in charge of Toledo, Alfonso sent his army south. They successfully forced the king of Badajoz out of the city and reinstalled Al-Qadir. Within Toledo there was a considerable number of opponents to Al-Qadir and his cooperation with the Christians. They called for assistance from the neighbouring Muslim Taifas. In response, the kings of Seville and Zaragoza invaded the territory of Toledo, perhaps indignant at the growing Christian influence there, perhaps wishing to take advantage of the political weakness of its ruler, or perhaps both. Alfonso VI counter-attacked, confidently marching his army into the territory of Seville and reaching as far as Tarifa, the southernmost settlement on the peninsula. Tradition says that in a display of strength, Alfonso rode on his horse into the waters of the Strait of Gibraltar and claimed in exultation, quote, This is the very end of Spain, and I have set foot upon it. End quote. The king of Leon and Castile had demonstrated that he was the most powerful ruler in Spain and that his ultimate ambition was to conquer the whole peninsula. For four years, Al-Qadir clung on to power, threatened by both foreign armies and internal disputes within his court, and now completely dependent on Castilian support. Conscious of the precariousness of his situation and afraid for his life, he negotiated with Alfonso VI the handing over of Toledo in return for being allowed to take the throne of Valencia. Alfonso agreed, and in the autumn of 1084, besieged the city. The people of Toledo were divided, and some chose to defend their city walls. But with the king in his palace welcoming the besiegers, and with no chance of any saviours from outside to come to the rescue, it was clear that resistance was futile. In May 1085, Alfonso received the ambassadors of Toledo in his war tents, to negotiate the surrender of their capital. The terms were not ungenerous. 
the local Muslims were free to stay in the city under Christian rule, or to leave with all their possessions. Also, Toledo's main mosque would not be turned into a church, but be allowed to continue to be a place of Muslim worship. An agreement was reached on 6 of May, 1085, and 19 days later, on the 25th of May, the King of Leon and Castile made a triumphant entrance through the city gate. In so doing, he achieved one of the most cherished dreams of his predecessors, the kings of Asturias and Leon, who almost from the earliest times had proclaimed themselves as the heirs of the old Visigothic kingdom. The surrender of Toledo was a key moment in the history of medieval Spain. Alfonso VI was able to occupy both the city and a broad region of the Tagus Valley. Although Toledo was threatened frequently in the next century, it remained in Christian hands, and the frontier was never pushed back from the Tagus. The former capital of the Visigothic kings went on to form the nucleus of the region later known as New Castile, and quickly eclipsed Leon, the old seat of royalty, as the political centre of the peninsula. With the surrender of Toledo and its dependencies, a substantial number of Muslims were incorporated into Castile. The Christian rulers, for the most part, were tolerant of the Mudacares, as the Muslims living in Christian-held lands were called. For the next few centuries, Toledo became famous as a melting pot for the cultures of Christians, Arabs and Jews, by which it is still known in popular Spanish culture. At this time the city reached its greatest moment of splendour. In Muslim eyes in the period up to 1085, according to Christians, the period just afterwards. The intermingling of cultures benefited in particular the Christians, who became aware of the far more advanced level of knowledge of the Arab world in fields such as medicine, science and astronomy, which later diffused into Western Europe and encouraged the Italian Renaissance. The period even inspired the invention of a board game with the name of Toledo 1085, with the following description by its manufacturer. Alicadia surrendered the city to Alfonso VI, who guaranteed to protect persons and their goods, whatever their religion. This started a period of peaceful cohabitation between the three major religions, Christian, Jewish and Muslim, in the city. King Alfonso VI was particularly supportive of this coexistence, and even tried to encourage it. To this end, he promised a special place in his court to all nobles who promoted harmony between the three religions. Each player is a noble of the city who tries to develop the city through science, culture and trade, while paying attention to the cultural diversity and mixture of Toledo. Will you be the one chosen by the king to make Toledo the city of three cultures? End quote. It is a breath of fresh air to talk about a peaceful takeover of a city rather than a bloody siege and of cultural tolerance rather than warfare. Fernando's first decision was to appoint a Mozarab, 
Cisnando Davides as governor, who already had held a similar position in the city of Coimbra in central Portugal. Cisnando, as an Arabized Christian, worked hard to promote a policy of mutual understanding and toleration. But these efforts met stiff resistance amongst the less tolerant Christians, especially those recently arrived from across the Pyrenees. According to a contemporary Christian chronicle, quote, Shortly after Toledo was taken, the Cluniac Bernard, abbot of Sahagun, was elected archbishop of the recently conquered town. And at a time when the king had gone to de Leon, Queen Constance induced him, Bernard, to take possession of the chief mosque. Accompanied by Christian knights, he entered into the mosque, set up altars and had bells put into the minaret to summon the faithful. When Alfonso heard of this, he was saddened and angered because he had promised the Muslims that he would protect their mosque. According to Angus Mackay in his book on Spain in the Middle Ages, the opposing viewpoints of Cisnando and Archbishop Bernard on the mosque reflected a wider controversy between the partisans of the Hispanic or Mozarabic religious traditions and those who wished to establish monopoly of Roman norms in Spain. Cisnando abandoned Toledo in protest at the consecration of the mosque to the Roman rite and retired to the town of Coimbra in Portugal, which became a bastion of resistance to the Roman rite. In Toledo, the Mozarabic clergy, accustomed to their own liturgy and Arabized customs, did not accept the hard line adopted by the Archbishop Bernand and resistance to the Francophile clergy lasted well into the 12th century. At this time, the papacy, especially under the leadership of Pope Gregory VII, 1073-1085, who happened to die on the same day that Toledo fell, was in the process of freeing himself from the influence of both the German emperor and of the different factions within the city of Rome. Gregory, as part of the reform of the Church, saw it as his responsibility to standardise Christian practices and customs throughout Europe. Native liturgies such as the Mozarabic were suspect, as seen as an obstacle to ecclesiastical unity. Gregory also actively encouraged crusades into Spain, insisting that recovered lands come under full sovereignty of the papacy. In a letter to all the princes wishing to go to Spain, he wrote, quote, We believe it is not unknown to you that the kingdom of Spain belonged from ancient times to St. Peter, in full sovereignty, and though occupied for a long time by the pagans, since the law of justice has not been set aside, it belongs even now to no mortal, but solely to the apostolic see. End quote. The papal policy of reconquest initially paid scant attention to the local Hispanic rulers and relied upon expeditions from the Pope allies in France, Germany and Italy. Alfonso VI of Castile reacted by refusing to recognise papal claims and by using the title Imperator Hispaniae affirmed as, as explicitly as possible traditional Leonese aspirations to hegemony throughout the peninsula. In 
Over time, the rulers of Spain did become closely allied to the papacy, especially the kings of Aragon and the counts of Barcelona. The arrival of outsiders to Christian Spain, bringing their culture of intolerance, was reflected by a similar event in Muslim Al-Andalus. The kings of Seville, Granada and Badajoz, afraid they did not have the resources to defend themselves against Alfonso VI, looked around for external assistance. Their only salvation appeared to be a tribe in North Africa. The Almoravids, who as fanatical Muslims waged war on anyone who refused to accept their strict interpretation of Islam. I will tell their story in a later podcast. Lastly, I will tell of the last days of El Cid. The story of El Campidor has arrived to us from the greatest literary achievement of this period. The Cantar de Mio Cid or Poem of El Cid. Written in the 1140s in its nearly 4,000 lines, the poem accurately portrays the life and career of, of Rodrigo Diaz de Rivar, a man of flesh and blood made legend. After exile from the court of King Alfonso VI of Castile, El Cid earned a living as a mercenary in Muslim Spain. Alfonso, after being defeated in battle by the Amoravids in 1086, reconciled with El Cid. Afterwards, Rodrigo stayed in the east, where he dominated al king of Valencia. The Valencian Muslims, contemptuous of their order, looked for deliverance to the Almoravids, who were advancing from the south. The Valencians revolted in October 1092 and killed al but El Cid intervened by establishing a tight siege of the city, prevented its surrender to the Almoravids. In 1094, Rodrigo's victory against the Almoravids was the first significant setback for the invaders. He died on the 10th of July, 1099, at the age of 56 years. And although his widow, Shemena, ably led the defence of Valencia, the city fell to the Almoravids in May 1102. El Cid is a fascinating character, reflecting the times he lived in, who defies any easy labels. Indeed, a whole podcast series could be dedicated to him. Unlike with the strict feudalism elsewhere in Western Europe, local warrior leaders, due to the frontier nature of their society, were not always tightly bound so closely to their rulers. Rodrigo would have been able to establish his own independent state, but instead felt honour-bound to loyalty to his king, whether or not fully deserved. Though he spent many years in exile, he ended up marrying his daughters into royalty. Neither can El Cid be labelled simply as a crusader. On the one hand, he fought long and hard against the Almoravids, and when in control of Valencia, he expelled all Muslims from the centre of the city and converted the main mosque into a church. Yet earlier in his career, he frequently fought alongside Muslim allies. Nor was he simply a mercenary, since he stood for ideas of truth and justice above just the right of the most powerful to do as he likes.
I will end with the final verse of the poem of El Cid. First in English, and then do my best to pronounce it in its original form, in the Romance language that would later evolve into modern-day Spanish. He who in happy hour was born still doth his glory spread, since Owen Navarre and Aragon as queens his daughters reign. Today they are kinswomen unto the kings of Spain. The Cid who ruled Valencia has departed from the earth. At Pentecost his mercy may Christ to him extend. To us all, just men or sinners, may he yet stand our friend. Lo, the deeds of the Cid campeared o'er. Ved qual ondra crece al que en buen order nació. Cuando senores son sus fijas de Navarra y de Aragón, hoy los reyes de Spana sus periodes son. A todos alcanzar ondra por el que en buen orden nació. Pasada este siglo el día de cincuesma, de chispas haya perdón. Así hagamos nos todos justos y pecadores. Estas son las nuevas de Miocid el Campeador. Note that by chance I'm recording this podcast on the weekend of the Christian holiday of Pentecost, as referred to in this part of the poem. In England, we refer to this as Whit Sunday and get a public holiday on the Monday because of it. I hope you get a chance to visit the new Facebook site for History of Europe, Key Battles, where you'll find extra information and images about the podcast series. Remember, there's also the blog, www.historyeurope.net. You can also contact me directly at carl at historyeurope.net. The best thing you can do to help the podcast is to go to iTunes, and the History of Europe Key Battles page there, and give me a review, hopefully a good one. From now on, I will try to keep a more regular schedule. Between battles, there will be a, a gap of two weeks, but within battles, I will release a podcast at the beginning of each weekend, either Friday night or Saturday morning. The next subject of the podcast will be the First Crusade, so I hope you can join me next time for the Siege of Jerusalem in 1099. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles, and I hope you have a good weekend. Until next time.